A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Suitcase and The Scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here for another edition of The Suitcase and The Scribe. Mike McKenna, once again, not in your closet. I, I like yeah, that. You, I'm free. I, I'm in Tampa. You notice I got the, uh, the old hotel artwork going here, a little seaside motif going, getting ready for game six. Tampa, Toronto, Thursday night. We're going to talk about the Leafs and, you know, the cur- can we call it a curse? I think we can. The curse of the first mm-hmm. round for the Leafs and what happens. But, Mike, I like I'm I cannot – can't wait to get your take on the unbelievable turn in the Los Angeles Kings Edmonton Oilers series. Um, I gotta tell you, there's a lot going on in that series and a lot of it is not particularly favorable to a team. I absolutely thought was a mortal lock to go to the second round. That's all due respect to the LA Kings. I just thought the, this was the perfect matchup for the Oilers but maybe there is no such thing for that Oiler team. Listen, I got the same impression. Now look at last night. Like LA was been, has been the better team five on five the last couple of games. And now even their special teams yeah. have been getting it done. And Edmonton's starting to chase. And you wonder, can Edmonton bring it back to where it needs to be? Because you've got a Los Angeles team. To me, that's really found some confidence. Like they believe now, Scott. They're up three to two in a series against Edmonton, who's supposed to crush them. Underdog mentality. You got some people coming in the lineup. Troy Stetcher, he's the hero of the series right now with a couple. Of, you know, he's scoring. Grunge from scoring. All right, what are your impressions here? Because I think this is this is still up for grabs, even at three to two. But LA is in this. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I, I want to circle back though because I want to I want to hear about your experiences on the bench. Uh-huh. I, I uh, between the benches, I'm, I'm fascinated to you know what that was like for you. But and here's I mean the other thing that has just come out just you know not too long before we started the tape, uh, Darnell Nurse is going to have a hearing and after headbutting Philip Deneau in like honestly I, I keep watching the replay and I'm like what are you thinking a i mean it looks like a rhinoceros headbutting somebody doesn't he you know like just leading with the head and okay well i mean liam and i were talking our producer before we came on but to me it's not even a question is darnell nurse going to be available for game six 
zero chance that's happening. To me, it's a bigger question is if the Oilers somehow manage to win game six in L.A., is he going to be available for game seven? And what a colossal, you know, to me, we talk so much about character and identity and, you know, listen, that Oiler team is deeply, deeply flawed, but they should not be losing this series given their, given the talent on that roster. But sometimes it comes down to character. And my wife often says character is destiny. And Darnell Nurse does that and can't play. And they and this the Oilers lose this series. It, to me, that just epitomizes what is wrong with this team. Now, maybe Connor McDavid can carry them totally on his back, which he did into overtime, at least in game five. But to me, that losing of your mind just speaks to issues that are deeper than the actual score in the game. Do you, am I off base here? I am. I'm looking at, at nurses headbutt and his actions and you can see the frustration. Yeah. Him and Dano are going at it in front of the net, but I also see it as he's just going after Dano and his head ended up being part of the equation along with his shoulder. Like I don't, it, this was, this was, like I said, it was like a rhino charging. This wasn't like somebody in a grappling match moving just their head forward to bop a guy on the nose. Like it's a movie, you know what I mean? So like, I, I'm giving Nurse a bit of a pass here because I think it was truly a crime of passion <laughs> as opposed to, you know, something premeditated. But right. the bottom line, man, is that he's not going to be playing game six. If you yep. get that type of hearing, you're out. And he's their number one defenseman. He's the best defenseman on the Edmonton Oilers. He is their go-to in, in, in just about every situation that you can get him in, especially in your kill. I mean, and, Edmonton chased the game. They were in the box a lot. This isn't good. I mean, th- these are the plays you have to have in your lineup. And that's tough to see. I'm, I was surprised by it. Um, and they've gone 12 and six. Edmonton has after going 11, seven early in the series. Well, now they're back to, they'll probably, I'd have to imagine Chris Russell will draw in, but that Chris Russell is not Darnell nurse, you know, <laughs> And they're having a hard time getting the puck to their forwards at speed because LA's clogging up the neutral zone so well. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, yeah. Well, and they, you know, again, I'm you know, easy to you know pick on the carcass after a disappointing yeah. loss, but you know, and again, Kempe's overtime winner, he blows by Duncan Keith, and yeah. you know, there's a you know, there's chaos in front of the net. It's again, you go back to the very construction of this team, and listen, Mike Smith's been real good in this series. And but he was pretty ordinary last night. Would have been nice to see his the rest of his team show up and you know help a guy out. And it, I mean, really outside of Connor McDavid, it really didn't happen. And right. man, now you're standing on the brink. I, I you know, maybe again, I, I think these are great litmus, litmus tests, and I think it's a good segue for us to get into Toronto, Tampa, because you know, at least in sort of a you know, they were facing the same kind of dynamic, but. I, I'm curious to see how Edmonton responds to this. But do you have what's your gut telling you? Like, and Todd McClellan has that Kings team believing mm-hmm. all those guys. Like you mentioned, it's up and down the lineup. It's guys you're like, who's that guy? Like, who's that guy? I, I'm so impressed by that. Yeah, well, I mean, to me, it comes down to Edmonton. Like, I think Drysaitel has got to bring it next game. 
and I'm not going to pin this on Connor because McDavid's been fantastic in the series. I don't see any problem with what he's done. And I actually think Edmonton's depth has done a pretty nice job. I mean, they've, they've during the winning parts. Yeah. During the winning parts they have, but like, you know, the last couple of games, Dry's idols, I mean, last night he had three points and he was still minus two, you know, like this is, and that's two games in a row. He's been on the negative side of things. And to me, I still put a lot of stock into plus minus and, and I'll bring it up later when we talk about Minnesota, St. Louis, I I really believe that this is a big deal. And Kopitar and Dano won that battle last night. Yet again, you're dude, you're not going to win the battle against McDavid. Like I, I just, I'm sorry if you're an opposing coach and you're going to walk in there and say, we're going to control Connor McDavid. Yeah. You're going to do the best you can. Yeah. And then you're going to really hope that you get everybody else in that lineup under grabs because yeah. Connor's Connor, different world stuff. True. And, but Dry's idle for all his skill and as hard as he plays and, and the hockey mind that he has, which I think is top five in the world. Yeah. He's not as quick as Connor and you can play on him a little bit easier if he skated. And I think that that's what LA's done well. So I, I think that, Going back to L.A., who knows? I don't think it even matters. L.A. was phenomenal in the first period in Edmonton. So I just, judging by Edmonton's past, I think they bounced back. It was still an overtime game. Okay, yep. still a 4-3 game. Yep. And the last two games in L.A., they, they you know, clobbered them. So we'll see what happens. I think this is going to end up in seven games. That's yep. my impression. All right. So I want to talk. I'm curious what you make of Toronto, Tampa. Mm-hmm. So much drama. And, of course, I'm in Tampa. <clears throat> which is the most important thing. But before we leave that Edmonton series, uh, I would, A, I'll sound like Eddie Haskell. I just thought you did a great job for TNT uh, between the benches, game three, right? It was, yep. but what was that? Like, that's a whole other world. I traded text with Colby Armstrong, who did the his first ever between the benches thing. And he was like, man, it is crazy down there. And, you, you know, he said, I, I'm so glad I had that experience. But t- what was it like? What were the things that surprised you? Or I didn't think it was crazy at all. I thought it was totally normal. And <laughs> I think that's because I'm so used to backing up games as a goaltender. Yeah. It felt like an extension of everything that I've seen in the National Hockey League for a lot of the time I was there. I mean, if you look at my stat sheet, I played like three dozen games, but let's not forget that I dressed probably a hundred and I dressed, you know, almost two seasons worth of games in the NHL. Like I know what that looks like. And I was very thankful that last season when I was working for the Vegas Golden Knights, I did 10 games of color commentary for the Henderson Silver Knights, American hockey league team. Mm -hmm. And I've probably done a dozen games of color total in my life, but I felt that that really prepared me well to do ice level analysis, which is really just an extension of the color guy that's in the booth. So um, I was working with Brett Hedekin, who, I mean, what a phenomenal human. He's like, a great man. I mean, positive, smiling, fun to be around. And, and that, I think that came through, you know, like we had plenty of discussions off air that kind of continued to on air and it worked really well. Um, I just thought it was the, I thought it was such a fun challenge because yeah especially as the ice level analyst, you're, you're typically not getting the first replay or not getting the first call of a play. So what I loved is that I, as the play went along, you're kind of memorizing the last 10 seconds of the play because you want to be able to say why something happened that set up the opportunity for a goal when you come in secondary at times. So um, I love that aspect, but it's just being down at ice level. 
Scott, it was great. I'd miss my hockey family, really. You know, I'm standing right there as Evander Kane screaming at Brendan Lemieux. And, and then I hear Josh Archibald, of all people, is threatening Blake Lazat in an extremely angry manner. And, and I'm just, I got slashed in the first period. Like, <laughs> Who got dries- it? Dry's idle stick came over because him and somebody else came into the bench, hit me right on the wrist. And it was like bruised and swollen immediately. And, and the crazy thing, Scott, is I loved it. Like you, you kind of miss the pain of playing sometimes. It's really hard to explain to people, but getting bruised up and dinged up, not like bad injuries, but just yeah. enough to feel alive. You're in it. Yeah. Yeah. So I tell you what, man, I'm super thankful to TNT for, you know, tossing me into a situation I'd never done and believing in me because it was a bit of, I mean, in my eyes, it's kind of a bit of a gamble on their part, even though I believed in myself and knew I could do it. Um, maybe there's more down the road. It'd be a lot of fun if there is, but if not, at least they didn't fall on my face. That's what mattered to me. <laughs> uh, all right. I, so, so let's go I'm, to Tampa, Toronto, man. Tampa, Toronto. We're so I'm, I'm, I'm switching back and forth, uh, you know, Carolina, Boston really interested to see how the Canes bounce back after looking very out of sorts, two games in Boston. And that, but really that Toronto Tampa, that first period and the bolt score immediately twice. I'm not blaming Jack Campbell, but I, honestly, I, I think my son and I were Don't I was you like, do oh. this to the goalie. Oh. I, I was like, how the <laughs> I like, you know, I feel, you know, you just, well, I'll ask you, do you feel a little, do you feel for the Leafs? I mean, they carry his, they're carrying 18 years of history. Haven't won a playoff round since 2004. They're playing the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. They get waxed in game four, and the waxing continues right into game five. And I'm like, they're, they're, this is it. This The series is over. And yet that team came back, and Jack Campbell was excellent. Our old pal Jason Spezza. Spoke mm-hmm. to Jack Campbell on a TV timeout and then addressed the team in the first intermission. Austin Matthews, Tavares, William Nylander, who took a pretty bad <laughs> offensive zone penalty in the first period. And, you know, it looked, it looked bad and then it wasn't. What'd you make of it? I am, I'm enthralled with this series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I almost look at this series as, something of a, a parallel to the, a Christmas carol with the ghosts of past and present and future, you know? And, and that's where like the Leafs are like Ebenezer Scrooge to me. <laughs> and right now they're battling against the go- the ghosts of Christmas past or their ghosts of playoff past that they have to try to vanquish and make right in the present and in the future. Yeah. And man, you see glimpses of it because they're so talented yeah. and what they'd been missing in the past, we often thought was leadership. Yeah. And when shit got hard, they wilted. That did not happen last night. They're down yeah. two nothing. They got killed in the first period. Yeah. Like, I mean, killed. They're chasing it. They're in the box. I don't know. Probably almost 20 shots against it felt like Campbell's just swimming, trying to do his best. But I can tell you from experience that when a teammate comes up to you, and someone that you respect as much as Jason Spezza, because everybody in that locker room looks at that guy and, and sees what they know, what he's done and been through. 
And they know the perspective that he has, because when you speak one-on-one with Jason Spezza, you understand that he understands that game at a higher level, at the highest level. Truth. When he comes up to you as a goalie and he says, forget about it, man. We believe in you. You're going to do this. I don't know if that's what he said. I'm guessing. I'm hoping that's what he said. I doubt he pulled Campbell over and said, you suck. Get it together. <laughs> you know, <laughs> make a goddamn save. Like, I don't think that's how that went. I don't think so either. I've had that happen before. And it happened to me in, I think, the third round of the Calder Cup playoffs, 2018, when I was with the Texas Stars. I allowed the worst goal. Like, it was a shot from the from the wall in Rockford. And the place is so dark because they haven't chucked in lighting in the last 80 years. And the puck was waffling. And it, it moved and hit my blocker, went up and over me in the net. And it was one of those collective gasp moments. Like, what the hell is he doing, you know? Well, we walked out of that building or walked off the ice and my teammate, Andrew Bodner, Chuck defenseman, who's still playing in Germany, awesome player, previous Calder Cup winner. He comes over to me and he goes, we're going to look back and laugh on this moment, man. You're fine. And, you know, even on a team that I knew I was a really important piece of and it carried the team in a lot of ways and, and, and myself was a leader that really meant something to me, 35 years old, you know, it's real. Those things matter. And, you know, Jason Spezza went in between first and second and look at the difference. You know, you get one goal for the Leafs in the second and then the third period, they were all over Tampa. Yeah. Pretty cool. And and Campbell, huge saves by Campbell in the third, by the way, totally, yeah, like massive, awesome stuff. And listen, I, I'm curious your take on this. I want to get to in a minute, but I'm, a, I'm going to use the Ebenezer Scrooge line in my piece today. So just so you know, I'll give you full credit. Okay, and perfect. As part of my piece, because I I covered that Leaf team. I wasn't actually covering the 04 playoffs. I actually just moved to Atlanta, but I'd been cover- I covered them the season before in 03. And um, here's a little trivia question. It's a literal who literal who's who uh, on the ice in Game Seven Oh Four. Leafs beat Ottawa and Toronto in Game Seven to win their last playoff round. So eighteen years ago, and Ron Francis is on that to leave team. Brian Leach gets in on it. Uh, Tom Fitzgerald is the GM of the Devils is on that team. Jason Spezza is not on the ice. Because Jacques Martin in Ottawa made him a healthy scratch, put Antoine Vermette in the lineup. But Jason Spetz is part of that Ottawa team. So, and of course, a Toronto mm-hmm. boy. I, I just think there's something beautifully symmetrical or circular. Don't you think it'd be right if Jason Spetz is on the first Toronto team to win a playoff round since that moment in 2004? Are you with me? It'd be poetic. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm. I love Tampa. I have a lot of friends on that team, but I don't want to see him three Pete. If I just from the, from the standpoint of interest, you know, and if they win it, man, awesome. I'm happy for everybody. Again, that's great. They'll have deserved it, whatever, but I just like underdogs, man. Yeah. And that's real. And Spez is leading that group in ways that he needs to. And I mean, even Tavares big game last night as well, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, the players that they needed to show up showed up for Toronto last night and you know, Tampa's listen, this is still three, two series, who knows, but dude, that with that celebration for Matthews, when he scored the winner, 
I, I love the passion, man. I really do. And I just think that that's really cool. So what's, that's a, that's an interesting series. And what's your, what's your gut tell you? They get it done here tomorrow night. Uh, I, I think if they don't, write. if they don't get it done tomorrow night, I think they're in trouble. Yes. So I, I hope they get it done tomorrow night. Um, I just want to give a quick shout out to former suitcase inscribed guest, Nick Paul, yes. who I think has been one of the lightning's top players, the entire series. I mean, he's their top penalty killer. Um, he's even chucked a little bit of power play in, but like, He's putting up points and playing a lot of minutes. He's been a great pickup. He's only helped his cause. Like he told us that he prefers to bet on himself. He believes in himself. Yeah. I think he's looking pretty good for a contract next year. So he came darn close to turning the other way in the third period. That was ever. That was honestly that game with, so I, I, I alluded to this, but until last night, like I've been so disappointed in the the level of hockey. I, you know, before last night, before that overtime game, I I think that's the fourth overtime game of the whole first round. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, lots of goals scored. I get that. That's a good thing. But the the, the games have been not, for the most part, have been not compelling. Games have and been I've, out of hand. And yes. I'm surprised by that. I don't know if you are or what. What do you make of that? You know, at first I was until I started to think about it. And I think it's been such a matter of such a matchup of special teams that it's led to this. I don't think we've been able to see sustained five on five play enough in these series to really know what we're looking at. And once a team gets a couple goals, it can just snowball. And, And that's what it's been to me. And and this is going to be in my piece later today about game five of Minnesota and St. Louis is that. Last night was the first time in that series that we really saw what we think we'd get from the two teams, like the physical play from both sides, up and down the ice, engaging hockey. And that's because largely they stayed out of the box. I think there were four minor minor penalties in the game, I want to say, uh, or four power plays. And this is up to the players to adjust because the NHL has made it very clear that this standard is not changing on the penalties. And I'm sick of people complaining about it. I'm so com- sick of it. How can you complain about it? We complain about the officials not the calling same, stuff. I, the I'm, same people I, that whine endlessly. They whine yeah. endlessly. How's that not a call? How's that not a, And then they finally start to call these things. Like, it's it's the playoffs. Let them play. You know why? It's because people just get pissed that their team isn't That's winning. True. That's all it is. It's And it's they're looking true. for a scapegoat, and the guys in the stripes are the scapegoat. The players will figure it out. And you know what? That game Minnesota-St. Louis last night was hard. It was heavy. But for once, the teams didn't cross the line, yeah. and they were able to play within the parameters of a normal hockey game, and we got to see a really good game play out on the ice. Yeah. I, and, I, I love that. I'm, I'm, yeah. I want that. Call it. Call that stuff. Like, how many times it, like, do you see somebody even – there were even times in the regular season where a forward be – a forward would be bearing down on the defenseman and you see the defenseman put the stick out again, parallel. And it's like, you weren't supposed to be able to do this. You're not supposed to be able to do this. And it starts to work its way back in and it's up to the players to adjust to the standard of the call. So I think that's the biggest reason why these we've seen blowouts in games, but close series. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I really hope that we're going to get to the point now where the teams have kind of figured it out and we're going to see closer games because we have the close series. Yeah. I would love to see more of that. Yeah. So that was a great think- game last night in Minnesota, St. Louis. And I don't know you know, how much you may have caught, but 
the Kaprizov show was on full display in the first. Yep. He's the he's the best player in that series. He's the most skilled player in that series. I don't know if he's the most valuable player on the ice. Yeah. I mean, you could argue Ryan O'Reilly with the Blues. You could argue a couple different directions, but yeah. My gosh, if I'm trying to show a kid how to play hockey, I'm grabbing clips of Kirill Kaprizov. He's so hard on the puck. Yeah. And he works to position. It's everything he does before he has the puck on a stick. And then he lets his elite shot and, and his hands all take over. He can play, man. And uh, he's the first. And then Vladdy Tarasenko. I read this in a piece today by our friend Jeremy Rutherford, the athletic. He said it was like, a, he said it was, oh, he's one of the best. He's, he said that this was like a hold my, hold my beer moment for Tarasenko because <laughs> the young Russian upstarts pots two in the first and Tarasenko. Yes scores three in the third period for a natural hat trick. Um, But more led to that along the way, like St. Louis started to get things going by the middle of the second period. And, you know, Bennington made some saves and St. Louis can attack in waves. They've got three, three solid lines that Berube can interchange. So that series, I still think is, that's the one that's labeled for seven games. I still think it is. <laughs> I That's, um, I've been so impressed by St. Louis. I, I I picked them to win that series. I picked them to go two to the great finals. teams, Scott. Two yeah. great teams. Yeah, I love watching them. But I the one thing that concerned me, and I think you and I talked about this going into it, like they they had a, did have a tendency down the stretch to lose their minds a little bit defensively, and I wondered mm-hmm. if Minnesota's structure because they were sort of there wasn't as many wide swings in in the wild game. I didn't think. But I give Craig Berube, you know, I don't know if he gets the credit he deserves. I know they won the cup, but like that team has buttoned it down. And listen, the decision to go to Bennington may have been a no brainer, but credit to Bennington for coming in and, and being what they need him to be in that moment. And, you know, like, I, I just think it's, there's been, it's been a compelling series, um, but that's a huge win on the road for the blues and it's to me, it's that experience. You mentioned Tarasenko. Mm-hmm. You've got Ryan O'Reilly, the playoff MVP from 19. You know, I don't think David Perron got on the score sheet last night, but been so good for them. Jordan Cairo. Yeah. I, I just, I, I wouldn't be surprised like you if it goes to seven, but that Blues team has been very impressive to me. And, you know, whoever wins, but if it's the Blues, I, I think they're, I think they're equipped to go toe-to-toe with Colorado. That's my opinion. I agree with you, but I think it also is going to depend how healthy St. Louis can be if that's what happens. Because one of the things Berube's done really well is work around all kinds of problems with defensive injuries. Okay, so they they got Nick Letty and Robert Bortuzzo back last night for the Blues, and that was a big ad for them. But they still went with seven defensemen. And and the reason this is taking place is because you have players that are not 100%. Yeah. You know, if you're coming back in the lineup, Nick Letty's not a hundred percent, but you'll take what you can get. And, you know, you kind of have a power play specialist in Scott Perunovich who's played pretty well, but what essentially Brubay's done is taken Falcon Pareko and just run them like every other shift. Yeah. You're over the boards, 25 minutes, 30 minutes the other night. And then you platoon the rest of the defensemen. Yeah. And it's, it's effective so far, but you wonder how long that can last. Can Pareko and Falk keep it up until the other players start to come back to health? Maybe Scandella comes back. So that's something to keep an eye on with them. Yeah. Um, but I talked about this earlier and I wanted to just quickly circle back before we move on how important it is to me to watch 
certain players. And I, this was a matchup I circled because when we were going through potential Selkie candidates across the NHL, I had Ryan O'Reilly and Joel Erickson Eck as two of yeah. my top five. Um, and when I was pairing it down, I looked a little closer. I mean, to me, Patrice Bergeron's on a different planet with that. But the defensive play of these two players can determine the game. It's held true in all five games that whoever has the best, better plus minus rating, their team wins Yeah, of those two players. And I kind of caught on in game two and I was like, man, like I feel a little prophetic here, but it keeps being right. And um, you know, last night it was O'Reilly had a goal and he was plus one X X was even. So it was tight, Yeah, but it was also indicative of that game. Yeah. So I, I love the, I love the, the battle within the battle. Not and we've seen, you know, where we've seen that at some of those places that you're really near and dear, the battle within the battle of Brad Marchand. Yep. Tony D'Angelo. Yes. Carolina hurricanes, the Boston Bruins. Scotty, what is going on out there on the East coast, my man? I know that's it. I'm uh, I'm, uh, you know, it was interesting to watch that game in, uh, in Raleigh. I wasn't there, but to watch it, from afar in, in game five, because, you know, there's, again, this, the games themselves haven't been particularly compelling. Um, although, you know, like there was all kinds of, there's been mayhem, right? I mean, Girondo yeah. goes out and there's all kinds of, you know, there's penalty. This is a series where, you know, teams, teams have to learn to not lose their mind, right? The, the Canes lost their mind in Boston. Couldn't stay out of the box and the Bruins made them pay. And that was just it. And, you know, Tony D'Angelo is a very emotional guy and, you know, and Marchand's, you know, Marchand is being Marchand. He's needling him, needling him. And I, Luke Decock, the longtime columnist in Raleigh put it, I thought amazingly well, something along the lines that, you know, when, when it came time to to say something, Tony D'Angelo spoke, but didn't say a word. And he was outstanding. I think he had mm-hmm. three points, goal and two assists last night, did not engage anyone. And really the Bruins chased that, you know, Auntie Ronto was really good early, but then the Canes got rolling and the Bruins, the Bruins didn't have an answer. And um, Bruce Cassidy has gone back to, He's moved the uh, Pasternak back up to the top line, the perfection line with Barshand and Bergeron. But really, the rest of the lineup was has been negated in many ways because you moved DeBrusque back with Halla and Taylor Hall. Right, they're not getting anything outside of the the big boys. And last night, the big boys were more or less shut down. And Carolina finally looked like the team that won the Metro, rolling the four lines and, and pressuring. Can you do that back in Boston where? You know, Cassidy will get a better matchup. He may be able to get Bergeron away from Jordan Stahl. I don't know. But, it, yeah. you know, again, it's – I think these are – I felt this was an important series for Carolina because Boston had beaten them twice in the last uh, three years in the playoffs. You know, that this was a, a hurdle to get over, and that was a good response for them in game five. Auntie Ronda has been so impressive, you know, that – who knows, but uh, to me, the Canes look like they're in a good spot moving forward. Have you been surprised by the, you know, ebb and flow of that? I had the Canes sweeping the Bruins and it was a gut feeling. Yes. You when were you looking pre- good after two. And I was going, and I was turning handsprings outside. I'm like, this is going to be the one I can hang my hat on. And Boston fought back. Well, I shouldn't be surprised and I'm not surprised. Like when you make predictions on series, that's all they are. You know, who knows what's going to happen. But when you look at the long haul, the reason why I picked Carolina over Boston is just because 
they play to their system throughout their lineup. And it doesn't matter who's on the ice for Carolina. Whereas Boston to me, isn't a deep enough team. That's what it comes down to. And that's what kind of what we're seeing play out. What I thought was interesting last night is that Carolina scored really the bulk of their goals and their chances were just simple hockey, like point shots, rebounds. And that's not normal for Boston for me to be able to score like that on them. Like they're usually tight enough defensively. I mean, they even had McAvoy back in the lineup last night after coming out of COVID protocol. I just thought that Boston looked out of sorts last night. Whereas the previous two games, I thought that Boston's will to win is what carried them even more than a defensive structure or anything else. Um, So this is, this is a series that I think is, is firmly in Carolina's hands at three to two. Um, I'd be surprised if Boston was able to make this a seventh game. I think it would have to take a really big goaltending effort from I'm assuming Swayman or Omar to get them to there. Yeah. I, I think they've already announced Swayman, but it, I I think Swayman's been really good. Like he didn't, he has, yeah, he didn't, you know, hard to, hard to really fault him on those. And uh, yeah. Um, Well, I'm curious what you make of, so if if Carolina prevails, They're going to get <laughs> you and I talked talk so much about the New York Rangers and we we oh, we've had, we've had Ranger guests. We I know we, we you know we, we you know we're like Rangers are really good and I, I guess and the, and the crazy part is I picked the um, two months ago or a month and a half ago I picked the, the Penguins to be in the Stanley Cup final against the Calgary Flames. <laughs> oh well, there you go. Well, and then see? I flipped and I was like, I don't think they could beat the Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> and they haven't yet think, it's three keep, to one just keep picking them in different venues you're gonna end, end up being right somewhere along the lines but that's it. it's i i've been to me that has been <clears throat> that that might have been the most compelling series from start to finish of course you start with a triple overtime game and casey de smith goes out and in comes louis Deming and his spicy pork and broccoli like there's Not the best. so much and, and there's, I mean, I don't revel in um, Shesterkin, Igor Shesterkin's, you know, difficult time in this series, but it is rather remarkable to watch what has happened to the Rangers and Shesterkin. He's been pulled out in back-to-back games. I think this is the first time in maybe forever that the Rangers or Penguins scored back-to-back seven times yeah. in the playoffs. Sidney Crosby looking like, 2009 Sidney Crosby that series is is it, that series is bonkers I, I I'm I'm amazed I can't wait to see what happens tonight well you touched on it Sidney Crosby I, I mean we can dissect this all we want but I think there's your answer right there yeah he is playing at a level that I haven't seen in forever and and, and that says something because his level of play is usually top 10 in the league yeah. in the last several years. I'd put him up against anybody right now. And we talked about this down the stretch run, that if he would have played a full season, he would have easily been in the conversation once again for at least the Hart Trophy, maybe even the Art Ross yeah. for leading scorer. I mean, yeah. he's just doing it all, man. And I, I think that there's a buy-in amongst the Penguins and a belief amongst the Penguins that I didn't see even a couple of weeks ago. And to be truthful, I don't know how they flipped that. 
I really don't because Raquel's out of the line. He's been missing. He's been injured, right? Like there, it wasn't like they got a bunch of players back and all of a sudden. Yeah. You know, Malkin, Malkin still, you see what I keep saying this out loud. What's this team going to be like when Malkin gets good? I know, but but you're right. It's not like, Oh, four or five guys. It's one guy. I mean, you get, you get someone like Kasperi Kapanen going again, though, yep. you know, and, and you're going to need a couple of efforts from players throughout your lineup. And Evan Rodriguez has had a couple good games. And, yes. you know, that's a and player who Heinen. started. Yeah. Yes. And Molly Heinen can shoot the puck. I've seen that firsthand for years. Yeah. But, you know, Rodriguez had a great start and then he kind of went missing for a while. And those are the players you got to get going. They have to if you're going to go deep. And, I mean, the rise of Michael Matheson to me yeah. is awesome. Like, Man, he came out at 20 years old, old to us in the Florida Panthers organization, could skate like the wind, could move the puck. But he needed time to grow. And, man, he's turned into something pretty special there. So, And we didn't even touch on King Domingue. I mean, this is, this is a guy who, again, former teammate like everybody. I mean, listen, Louis had to grind. Yeah. And to be totally frank, I think Louis has probably – had to be humbled a couple times to get to this point because you hear him speak now. He is such, he, he, his post-game presser was phenomenal. And in the interview, even after the last game was, it's so team focused and clear and, and fun loving. And sometimes when you face adversity in life, you can go two directions, Scott, you can wilt or you can find a way to adapt and get better and confront it. And man, you know, Louie gets sent to the American League, has a great year in the American League, and he's carried it into the NHL. And now you're making a case to be in the NHL again. Okay. It's beyond, it's not just the Stanley Cup to me. There's more implications here that he's not yeah. thinking about. But it's not like he's had to be lights out, but he's gotten the job done. Like if you allow a, tra- a crap goal in the first period, it might change everything. And that hasn't happened. Yes. So um, it's, it's compelling for sure because the Rangers – they don't look like they did down the stretch. They're getting outworked, and Gerard Gallant called them soft multiple <laughs> times. And when Turk calls you guys soft, <laughs> boy, that if that doesn't wake them up for game, game six. Oh my god! I what Larry Brooks is one of my favorite columnists, Hall of Fame columnists for the New York Post, and oh my god, I just hope that none of those Rangers are listening to Gerard Gallant after games. I hope they're not reading the Post and other. Because they are getting buried, and they should, right? I mean, they just—they well, have... he's given it to him in the room too. I yeah. played for Turk. Oh, yeah, what it's you a... see is what you get, and the yeah. players—the players like him though, yeah. so that he has the leeway to do that. So, so like, listen, it's three-one. We're not, you know, stuff. You know, it's, we're talking like Penguins. Carolina is a done thing in the second round. That's mm-hmm. we're not saying that. But do you? Do you do you like do you worry about a young team? You know that blue line is so young and kids up front, and actually the kids have been real. The Frenier's been really good. Needle's yeah. been really good. Uh, you know the uh, it's not you know it's the kids. You know, but they're they're going to get they're going to get a little bit torched by this. Do you think that's a good thing? Are you okay? Shusterkin's obviously the one that you wonder about given how this has unfolded, it, it, it's okay though, right? I mean, stuff happens to young teams. I don't ever look at any playoff experience of being a negative ever. Yeah. 
because you learn so much from it. Even if you're the worst team on the planet, even if you get waxed four straight, it's such a learning experience. And it's so cool to be able to play at that level. Yeah. And, you know, and to really feel what it's like to have everything on the line and the heightened sense of emotion. And, you know, truthfully, Scott, for me, that's something I didn't get to experience at the NHL level. I didn't ever get to dress playoff games in the NHL, but I did feel similar to that in the minors, the American yeah. league. I mean, we hit 114 decibels in Syracuse. It was louder than a motorhead concert. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's the same energy, just on a, a little bit smaller building. It's different. And you learn a lot. And a team like the Rangers who are ahead of their curve, I still think by a year or two as a franchise, they're going to learn from this and be better. This isn't that dissimilar than what Tampa Bay went through before they eventually won their two Stanley cups. Yeah, totally. And you know, the, the young players have looked better there. You need more, but you know, where, where are you going to point the finger at the decor strictly? It's everybody. So they got to play a little bit harder. Yeah. But it's not over, but I'm, I'm, I don't feel good about this for the Rangers. Like I, this is going to be Pittsburgh, Carolina. I would be shocked if it's not those two teams. Um, and if they, if the Rangers can come back and win it, geez, watch out. <laughs> Cause it's going to mean Shesterkin was playing mega minutes like he did previously. Yeah. Um, so this is, I want, I wish there was a, uh, I had the capability um, as we, once again, remind people that DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of Podcasts, restaurants and more delivered right to your door. What do you think that I, I assume we need a DoorDash of, tracker, by the way, for playoffs for gonna, whenever. You know what, though? What 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 is the I'm only I'm imagining the arc of spicy pork and broccoli orders in the Pittsburgh area through DoorDash <laughs> must be through the charts. So anyway, that's right. It's instant, instant number one seller. Uh, and DoorDash got me off the hook this past week, uh, day before mother's day. Maybe it was mother's day. I think it was, this is how bad I am about it, but the blues and wild played at home and in here where I am in St. Louis. And yeah. I told my wife, I said, you get whatever you need and sushi was delivered and the kids were happy and everyone was pleased. So nice. DoorDash to the rescue once again. All right. Um, winding her down here. We've got some loose ends to tie up. Um, couple tied series, couple tied series. I, one our, series that's over. Yeah. <laughs> can I, can I take that one real quick? Yeah. <laughs> Colorado beat Nashville for nothing. UC Soros couldn't play in the series. Connor Ingram did the best he possibly could and Kale McCarr might still be the best player on earth. Okay, let's go to the next one. Okay, let's go to the next one. I, I was, I, I am, I, I'm, I'm really curious now to see. I'm just curious to see if there are any changes in Nashville, not, not in terms of the coaching necessarily. I, I'm just curious to see what the response is because, anyway, there, hmm. the chances they, had, they, there were a couple opportunities to at least make it interesting and never panned out there. So. Hey, uh, you know what though? I, it reminds me when you talk about changes and I want to touch on this before we may hit these other series, okay. you had a great piece that came out, Scott, about the New York Islanders and Lou Lamorello and Barry Trotz and kind of how this is a turning point for Lou Lamorello in some ways. What's the gist of what you believe is going on there in Long Island? Well, I, I mean, I think I was like, Almost everyone, and in, in my sense is also maybe Barry Trotz too. Quite surprised oh, yeah. to see that 
you know, that the Islanders, that, that Lou Lamorello, the GM there, had decided that he needed a, that the team needed a new voice and was going to move on from the two-time Jack Adams Trophy winning Barry Trotz and a man that I think most people in hockey almost singularly credit for getting the Islanders to two straight conference finals. No question. So, you know, I think there's a certain shock value there. I, I haven't come across anything to suggest you know, some sort of other narrative, this idea that it might've been a mutual thing. This was going to be oh. the last year of Barry's deal and may, you know, whatever. I'm not going to profess to know what is in Barry's mind. Does he need a break? Does he want a different challenge, a different job? Does he, I don't know what the deal is, but listen, when you do that and, and Lou Lamorello, you know, is it, I, I didn't talk, basically I didn't talk to anybody about this, this decision. I I didn't talk to the players about it, um, which to me is, I would think would be a little bit troubling, but anyway, you make that decision. All right. Now it's on you. And and there's a guy that he's in the hall of fame. He's let, he's legendary. He's an iconic figure. Certainly the three Stanley cups in New Jersey, but I, I just felt, and this is my, this was my opinion. I share, I, I, I his track record over many years now is, is suspect. And when you make this kind of decision, then and he said he now the players are on notice and I would argue no now Lou Lamorello's on notice and mm-hmm. if I'm ownership we moved into a new building and this is your first full year there because of course you had the 13 game road trip to start the season while your new barn is is at Belmont is getting ready so this is the first true full season you miss the playoffs after going to the final four back to back boy you better get this right. Better find yeah. a coach who can fix the problems that you saw in Barry Trotz and fix the problems in your lineup, which are the result of, you know, failings by Lou Lamorello. So I don't know, maybe, you know, I'll listen, smart guy. He can do whatever he wants, his team. Maybe they bounce back and go to a cup final or a conference final. To me, that's a team life and death once again to make the playoffs. And I frankly will not be shocked if they're outside the bubble again next spring. There's no other way to say this, that Lou Lamorello has struggled as a general manager since the salary cap came, salary cap came into place. Truth. Okay. I'm Look at the record. And yeah, they got 2012, the Devils got to the finals. That was wild. I still can't get the over fluke. that one. And, and well, I mean, and listen, Pete DeBoer did a great job with that team. That was part of it. Yeah. But I, I, I have to question whether as much as Lou likes to control things and it's his ship, is he really going to bring in two or three capologists to be able to work things and say, Hey, you can't give this guy this contract. You can't give Kyle Palmieri that deal. You can't do this and expect to be competitive because the loyalty factor is so big there. You know, Andy green comes back, Zach Parisi's back. Like, and I'm sorry, man. I don't buy for a second that he didn't talk to the players now. And, and here's where semantics matter, Scott. In no way am I calling Lou a liar in any way, shape, no. or form here, because I think he is an incredibly honest man when you deal with him. But semantics matter and the wordage matters, because when he says he didn't talk to the players about this, all that means is he didn't look at Zach Parise and say, should we fire Barry? Yeah. When you have your year-end meetings, you talk to the players and you get, ask them, what were your impressions of the coaching staff? Yeah. And they give you the feedback. Okay. That to me, he he had to have gotten a feel from the players that he really respects and trusts when you look back at, and we're talking about Andy Green and Parisi players that he's, you know, he's known forever. 
you really take their words into account. So, you know, I think there's a little bit of deceptiveness there in some ways to say it was just a pure gut reaction, but we've also seen that previously from him. Maybe it was, you know, remember was it Pat Burns who's got, got canned like two weeks before playoffs or something crazy like that. Or yeah, I think he did a couple of that. I think it, yeah. actually it was Claude Julian and Robbie Fatora, if I'm there not mistaken. Right. So, you know, it just take it with a grain of salt, but yeah. they got to get it right. I mean, like, is Lane, is Lane Lambert going to finally get a head job? Is John Tortorella going to come in? Like, I don't know what to expect there. Lose the ultimate wild card because nothing gets out, but I do think it's surprised. I think it surprised Barry in some ways, but also by the middle of this season, you have to wonder if you weren't starting to look over your shoulder and think this is not going well and we'll see where it ends up. So that'll be a real interesting one to play out. Yeah. If I, you know, you know, personal, listen, I, you know, I've known Barry a long time. I remember Mm -hmm. way, way back in the day, having lunch with him in Nashville in the early days in Nashville. And, you know, like Same. they were trying to, they were, they were selling the team. So basically, you know, Barry was out, you know, running practice and kissing babies because it yeah. was, that's what you had to do in Nashville. And I remember early on having, you know, the first time I met him and just uh, over the years, all the time that we spent together and, you know, at various stops and sharing, he's just such a, an open, honest guy that I just, I hope he finds, whatever it is that he wants to do. If he needs a break, then take a break. You've earned it. But personally, how fun would it be? Manitoba native, you know, I think he played and coached at the University of Manitoba. He cut his teeth coaching in Manitoba. You know, Winnipeg Jets. I I might be jumping right back on that jet bandwagon if Barry Trotz ends up there. I'm just saying. My my gut feeling is that, you know, Barry has coached an awful lot of hockey without a break a lot of hockey. Yeah. and a sabbatical would be amazing. Yep. But when it push comes to shove, Barry coaches because he's a coach. So yeah. I, in my gut think he's going to take time off, but my head says, you know, better than that, Mike, because this is a guy who's driven and wants to win. So I'm intrigued to see how it plays out. Yeah. Uh, much like I am the two remaining series. We haven't talked about, I mean, yep. Florida and Washington are tied two to two Calgary, Dallas are tied two to two. I actually thought that Florida was on the ropes a bit and then had come out and played a strong game for win in overtime, tight game. Yeah. Looked a lot better defensively. This, this one could go longer than people thought. And I expected that I thought Washington would push Florida, Yeah, but I still think it wasn't a good thing that Florida lost game one. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I want, I'm curious about both, you know, because both Dallas and Washington being up two one in in unexpected fashion over Calgary and Florida, uh, you know. So the fact that the favorites come back to tie both those series, I wonder, and we'll see tonight. Obviously, is this is this just that you know the the water finding its own level, and that both Florida and Calgary now will sort of assume the position that I think most of us assumed they would they would take in, in these respective series. So even though the, they're a little bit different, but those they, the games have been close, you know, so, you don't mean assume the position like animal house. No, no, party, I, right? I do okay. not mean that in any right. fashion, but I am. I, 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 Thank I, you, I'm sir. Impressed. May I have another? <laughs> yes. I've been impressed by Washington. 
because they've been so unimpressive since winning the cup in 18. Like, honestly, it's the world's longest Stanley cup hangover. I keep saying True. that, but like they have every, you know, since 18. So this is what, 1920, <laughs> this is the fourth year. And this is the first time when I've watched in the playoffs that they seem fully engaged. Now they mm-hmm. miss Tom Wilson a lot. He's on the trip. I understand to Florida. They miss him on a whole bunch of levels. But I, so and Samsonov coming in has been really good. I, I'm I, I'm curious to see how that unfolds. Dallas, uh, <laughs> they, they can't score right. They've got one line and one goaltender. But they're just <laughs> punching above their weight, man. They just like, do it endlessly. You know, and and so maybe you know, is Calgary? Have they just have they pushed Dallas? Is that it for Dallas? But I I don't know. You know, Joe Pavelski. I don't know. Kind of game what game four kind of felt like a turning point for me yes. in that series where it was Calgary finally yeah. kind of dug in and went, all right, guys, enough of this because stop fooling around. Yeah, exactly. Because I think that Calgary is comfortable any game that you want to play, and Dallas is not. Yeah. You know, Dallas has to grind, they have to be tight games. Um, whereas Calgary, man, if you want to run a gun, they can do that. But if you want to play tight defensive or play hard hockey, they can. And I think Calgary really figured out that they they kind of had to get their emotions in check a little bit. It's easy to get too amped up when you're playing against Jamie Benn and crew in Dallas because, I mean, Jamie plays so hard. You've yes. seen it firsthand. I've seen him pick up an entire locker room and carry it. And you feel like you have to match that. But that mindset is wrong if you're the Calgary Flames because you already have that and then some in your room. You don't have to match Jamie Benn. You just have to play your game. Yeah. You know, so I think that that's kind of where Calgary got to. But, man, I've loved watching Jake Ottinger. I've loved the rise of him this year. I've actually used a lot of his games as coaching clips because I think he's just such a strong technical goalie. In some ways, to me, he's kind of like the bastard child of Ben Bishop and Andre Vasilevsky and, and just how he plays. You know, and I said that to I, I said that to somebody close to the situation and the person was like, well, take that all day long. You know what I mean? <laughs> and um, I, I just think he's a really talented young man who yeah. and mentally gets it as obviously his teammates like playing with him. There's a lot of runway for him as a goaltender. But I, I think this has shifted to Calgary. I believe that they've, as you said, woken up. Um, but nothing surprises me with Dallas. Klingberg's trying to fight everybody, which is hysterical and awesome at the I same time. That. Yeah, I know. You know, bonus is given going bananas on the bench, which is so he's so passionate. Like, yeah, it's it's a fun series for me to watch from a goalie yeah. perspective and a coaching perspective and a leadership perspective. Yeah, I you know, I, I'm I'm up to see some game sevens. I'd love to see I'd like to see Dallas just push a little. Push that Flames team a little bit. And I, listen, I've been, you know, over time, you know, I've been critical of the Flames in general and certainly critical of Johnny Gaudreau. Oh, my God, I thought he was so good in game four and really, you know. Put listen, a stamp on it. Yeah, he's, you know, he's he's been real good in this series. And I think Dallas is is in tough now, but that's why they play him, right? I can't wait. I'm, I'm so pumped now. I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, okay, when are the game's going to start? So. I will say this about that Dallas Calgary series. In some ways it feels similar to when I was a member of the Dallas organization with the Texas stars. And we went up against the Toronto Marlies and the AHL Calder cup finals 2018. We were the biggest underdogs and we took them to seven games. Yeah. 
And, you know, we didn't come out on top, but it felt like we left everything on the, on the, we did everything we could to win. Yeah. And we came up short. And I think that may not be good enough for ownership in Dallas, but I think if you look at that lineup realistically, yeah, if they take Calgary to seven games and play them hard, they're going to look in the mirror at the end of that series and go, well, we did what we could and still going to suck and burn, but it'll feel a hell of a lot better than getting run out the door in four games. Yeah, true. All right, my friend. Next time we can reconvene, we'll be talking about second round matchups. It's, yes. Yeah, it's like a snowball going downhill, my friend. So My favorite part of this, guys, it just feels like we're sitting at the bar having a cocktail, talking to one another. This is the, this is the fun part of the season, man. It's the truth. All right. As always, a ton of fun. Uh, stay safe, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Sounds good. We'll talk to you then. Enjoy your time in Tampa. I, I, I'm, I'm uh, a couple spots I need to need to get to. It's been a while since I've been here. So, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Not Honestly, I can't wait to see how game six unfolds here. A lot on the line. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll see how it goes. Yep, can't wait. Till next time. All right, brother. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode.